Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This season of Strong Opinions Loosely Held is brought to you by Spotify. If you're a fan of our show, check out Good As Hell, a new spotlight on Spotify in partnership with Refinery29. On Good As Hell, you can hear host Lizzo as she talks with the leading ladies of rap about breaking down barriers. It's more than just a podcast. It's a safe space for all women in music. Spotlight also gets you way closer to the story, with related photos, videos, and animations available with each episode. Good As Hell, a new Spotlight only on Spotify. Hey everyone, I'm Elisa Kreisinger, and this is the final episode of Strong Opinions Loosely Held Season 3. Quinta Brunson is standing in line at the movie theater concession stand. Her date starts to order. She's very impressed. Reese's Pieces. Ah! Pretzels. <laughs> and a large popcorn. A large? You got your money. He got money. Get it all for him. That short clip and the line. You got your money. He got money. Went on to become a viral sensation. It wasn't Brunson's first viral sensation, but it was the first time I saw her fill my feed. And I saw firsthand how she was, as one person put it on Twitter, a meme goldmine. Over the course of four years, Quinta has gone from a comedian who didn't want anything to do with the internet. I was a little arrogant and I thought it was the death of, <laughs> like, everything. I thought it was whack. I didn't like YouTubers. To one of the internet's most popular viral content creators. At 24, she had the first viral video on Instagram. Put this video on Instagram video and it, like, blew up. She moved to L.A. She got a job at the Apple Store. I truly took an iPhone appointment for someone's dog. And then she took a job with BuzzFeed. I, like, looked around and was like, oh, I need to be here. I, they're going to let me cook in here. You know, I just could see a vision for what it what it had the potential to be and how I would be able to fit into that mix. She became the youngest showrunner at BuzzFeed Motion Pictures and one of their youngest creators. Brunson writes, produces, and stars in videos that become memes, that become GIFs, that become memes again, like this one she made highlighting the pitfalls of being the only black friend. Hey, Quinta, can I ask you a question? Yeah, what's up? How do I know if my house is a trap house? Who is Fleek? How much should I be paying for a flex zone? What is a POP holding it down and is it contagious? Memes are usually anonymous. We don't know who the author is or what they look like or what they sound like. Oftentimes, we don't even know where the original meme came from. But Quinta Brunson is not anonymous. Her memes are her. You see her Millie rocking in front of the Great Wall of China and the Eiffel Tower. I'm Millie rock on any block. I'm Millie rock on any block. And she's multiplying across her screen after her date tells her to chill. Yeah, I'm just saying I'm not even mad at the looking part. It's just you don't have to say we'll be here. She knows that. He needs to chill, relax. You got me. What's up? You got me. What's up? 
Quinta represents something larger than her huge social media presence, and that's why we love her so much. She represents the power of memes to be taken seriously in the cultural zeitgeist. She represents the power of a young comedian of color to be the face of that meme. And she represents the ability to control the content you make and profit from it. I caught up with Quinta while she was in Vancouver filming her pilot. One thing we love about you is that you are your own meme. What's your favorite piece of viral content you've ever made? It was a video that turned into a meme, but it was uh, called Catch These Hands. And I really liked that because it was collaborative. It was my, I had my friend Swizzy, who's like a mad decent DJ. He did the music for it. And it was just this concept I had that I couldn't really explain to anyone. So I just needed to trust one of my coworkers at the time to help me out with green screen and make this vision of me multiplying um, come to life. And it was a storyline of, you know, when someone tells you to chill. Easy, chill, relax. And that's the last thing that anybody, especially any woman likes to hear. And like what we wish we could do when someone does tell us that. So it's when I multiply into about 50 different versions of me dancing all around him to insinuate not to tell me to chill because I'll just go harder. It was something I really took a chance on. I wasn't sure if people were going to get it, but it really resonated with people and they loved it. And then it turned into a meme um, of itself and then it took so many different forms. And that's my favorite like part, seeing something I create and then people turn it into a bunch of other different things. The entirety of my career has been based in organized virality. Like the first online video I had ever done, which was before viral video and in short form was a super thing, was on Instagram. And that was like one of Instagram's first viral videos, which I turned into a series. Uh, so I got that got me used to people who I didn't know sharing my stuff really quickly. And then I went on to work with BuzzFeed. So there's this part of virality that's the same thing that can be the same thing as watching like a movie you like that really identifies with you, you know, and it becomes your right. favorite thing. It's why people have like favorite memes and favorite videos and favorite vines because it's, a, you know, it says something about them and what they care about. How do you as a creator tap into something that will resonate? Or are you just making what you want to make and hope that that's what people want to see? Being a child of the Internet for so long. I do have an idea of what's going to hit well. It's also about being involved in the zeitgeist. I made this I made this green screen video of me at the Olympics, you know, and I was watching the Olympics and I was like, man, I really don't like the way these reporters talk to these people. They can't do this shit, like this is crazy. And so I made that and I didn't think anyone was gonna care about it. I really didn't and I, and I didn't care. Here in Pyeongchang, we have Quinta who just placed second, receiving a silver medal, gotta hurt a little bit, kind of faltered on that McTwist. How are you feeling about that? I did everything as I expected to, and I came in second. And um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Twitter.com, but on the website right now, Black Twitter says, I killed that shit. Obviously, you didn't. This was only like three weeks ago or two weeks ago, but it was one of the more successful short-form videos I've done. For me, there is some deeper thinking there. I think people shouldn't even always have to be worried about being the best or coming in first. And I think that mm -hmm. that's a really dangerous way to think because some people are just doing the best they can and that is enough. Um, you know, I'm from West Philadelphia. I learned at the YMCA how to do my thing. So it's amazing I made it here in the first place. <laughs> Shout out to my man who went from Germany. I see you. Yes. Very optimistic. No regrets, apparently. No. You're living, you woke up, you did a good thing. That should be enough. 
sometimes. So that was the deeper thinking behind that. And I do think that's the strand it hit with other people. But you also studied comedy, right? Can you talk a little bit about how you combine, yeah, sure, cultural zeitgeist, but also being able to turn that into something that's actually funny and relatable? Yeah, um, yes, I studied improv. That's how I got my start in comedy. There's this section of comedy that should say the thing that people are afraid to say. And I think that people want to have someone demonstrate what, what they wish they could do, how they wish they could be, what they wish they could cry about mm-hmm. in content across the board. You're doing stand-up, you're doing videos, and you're writing for TV. How do you juggle being relevant with three different formats? I tend to go where I have something to say. There are things you can get away with Mm. on a stand-up stage that you can't get away with in a video. Mm -hmm. It's really good when you're in the moment. And I think stand-up, it's really just you on the stage. There's no fluff around you. Your word is your bond. Your word is Mm -hmm. your product. Your word is your content. But right now, I'm on a pilot out here, and this is a new experience for me, just being a comedic actor, and I haven't written this stuff. Now, you know, I'm a part of an ensemble cast, so that's another part of it, like utilizing talents just to contribute to an overall script. Can we talk a little bit about how you got to that point? For sure. So you were an undergrad at Temple. You were obsessed with comedy. You take classes at Second City in Chicago, and then you move out to L.A. How did you end up at BuzzFeed? I was doing improv, so I was doing improv at, like, Second City out in L.A., taking classes, and then performing at Second City and at IOS. So that's what I was doing. I was making my rounds in improv world and having a really great time doing it. One day I did did a character on stage at the comedy store. There was a comedy night there and they had a sketch team open up. So me and my friend Crystal Bublin put together a sketch team and did this little sketch show. But I did this character called The Girl Who's Never Been on a Nice Date, which I was, you know, workshopping. And I did it on stage and a friend of mine, my friend Abdul, was like, you should you should put this online. And at the time, I was very anti-online. I did not. Why? I just, I don't know. I was a little arrogant, and I thought it was the death of, <laughs> like, everything. I thought it was whack. I didn't like YouTubers. I didn't, I didn't fully understand the world, but all I knew was I just didn't fuck with it, and I didn't want to put my, my stuff online. And he was like, okay, and fine. And what year was this? This was like 2014. Wow. So 2014, you don't want to put anything online. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only four years ago. He was like, okay, well, you should like put it on something. Like, you know, Instagram video had just come out. And I already did one funny video that like people really liked, but I wasn't taking it seriously. Put this video on Instagram video and it like blew up. But yeah, the girl who's never been on a nice date were these videos that just focused on me as the character and an invisible boyfriend. You would sometimes see his body, but you would never see his face. And uh, it was this character reacting to very small things he would do as a sign of just an extreme gesture. So the most noted one is him buying her popcorn at the movie theaters. And she's just taken aback. Sorry, a large popcorn. And she's taken aback and she exclaims, he got money to the whole theater. But, you know, it was just a large popcorn. But I love that. I love those videos because it's this girl who's just like so impressed with her man. And it's very sweet. Reese's Pieces. Ah! Pretzels. And a large popcorn. A large? You got money. He got money. Get it all for him. People were tagging people and you know, finding ways to share this thing with people. You know, it didn't have the share button it has now. It wasn't integrated with Facebook at the time. It was harder to share, but people were sharing this video. And so I decided to do a second one 
to follow up and that one blew up too. People love the catchphrases and people were asking me for merch. So started selling t-shirts and I mean, I made a lot of money. So much so that I was able to quit my job, which was really nice. I start, you know, just selling merch and then I'm doing like kind of like appearances, mm -hmm. figuring out what my place was in that world. That was not my place. I wasn't an appearance person or a gig <laughs> person or a come here and say he got money. That wasn't working for me. So that wasn't a thing. And then, you know, eventually I ran out of money, you know, T-shirts stopped selling. I was tired of doing the character. I, just, I didn't want to only be known for that. So the merch was slowing down and, you know, the, maybe like a year and a half in, I was like, okay, I got to find something else. I need something that allows me to continue to make content the way I want to, but also need a job. I need money coming in every other week. I need to maintain finances. I need to set up finances for myself. So I had a friend who I was doing, I had started doing stand-up in that time period. And I had a friend, Justin, who I was doing stand-up with. And he was like, you should come to my job and come be in some, some video. So I came to the job, which was BuzzFeed, which <laughs> also wasn't what it was at all at that time. I like looked around and was like, oh, I need to be here. And then the, the rest was history. I started as a regular employee and the guy who I hired me into Gautier was like, are you sure you want to work here? He was like, you can do anything. And I was like, I need to set up some finances for myself right now. So yeah, <laughs> I, I want to work here. <laughs> a year later I had started developing series with them and then became a development partner which meant that I co-owned my material with the company and started selling shows and one of the topics that we're tackling is who owns viral content yeah. who owns a meme what does that mean at BuzzFeed that you both co-owned the content that means things that I created so series I created with them anything that got sold I co-owned with them, so I had a, I had a profit with them. Do you know what I mean? I had a separate profit outside of being an employee. So right. that's not if I were to you know create a meme that, or if I you know creating videos, they own the video. I understood that I worked for that company. You know, it's a nine to five. I was creating content for them up right. until I was creating content with them, and then that became a deal change. And as far as the topic of like who owns what, I think that's gonna continue to be a shit show. And I think BuzzFeed has in the past respectfully gotten their asses kicked for it, but I think it's one of those places where it's like, this is an ass kick for the entire internet. It's hard to understand who owns what when it's a world without regulation. There's no such thing as an original idea until somebody puts a copyright. Just I've seen situations where people all come out with the same pilot at once. Whoever gets it out there first and then the rest is history, which is, I'm not saying that it's right. I'm saying that is the intellectual property fight that continues to go on. Have you ever been copied? Yeah, plenty of times. I don't give a fuck though. I can't do anything about it. What am I gonna do? You know, I don't yeah. really care. It's nothing I can do about it. So you go to BuzzFeed, you get your nine to five job, you get your health insurance, you get your stability, things yeah. that are going well at BuzzFeed and you become a BuzzFeed partner, mm -hmm. which means a co-owner. It was good. It felt it was a partnership with the company, which was a really good situation to be in. And it's your face still on everything. So you're making it, but it's also starring you, which I feel like has really helped and served you well in leaving BuzzFeed. Yeah. 
And so you leave BuzzFeed. Why did you leave BuzzFeed? To me, it was a job. Do you know what I mean? It was mm -hmm. a nine to five mm -hmm. job. I wanted a new job. I love all those people. I'm in communication with them daily um, because I still have projects that are operating through the company. Still think it was one of the original places to start making content for people, my, for minorities, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I'm invested in, you know, making sure more people of color and other get in there and create with the internet because People often ask, like, how did you do what you did? And I'm like, you know, that was helpful having that resource house where I'd, I could, you know, grab a camera whenever I needed to and be around other people to collaborate with. What advice would you give to somebody who wants to make viral content or wants to get their ideas out there? I think the important thing for people to remember, especially during this time, is that it's not about you. You should be creating something for other people, even if it's just a small, funny thing. I think the thought behind it should be like, what message do I have for other people? How is this going to resonate with people? Even when I made that Olympic video, I had other people in mind. I felt like people shouldn't want to have to be first all the time. People should want to do their best, even though I didn't think anyone was going to like it. When I made it, it was with like what I think would make the world a better place. I think for some people, like virality isn't always going to be the, the thing. People should just be passionate about what they're making and think about the purpose that it serves. I feel like it's kind of, if you're making it with selfish intentions, it's, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure how much impact it'll have. What are you working on now? And right now I'm on a pilot in Vancouver. I'm shooting a pilot uh, for the CW. That's great. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I've had my manager for like three years now, and he is the most patient man. So when I came out, it felt like all my time at BuzzFeed had prepped me for what was to come next, mm -hmm. which was like from taking meetings while I've been at BuzzFeed with, you know, different people who are working in the more traditional industry. So after I left, it was like, okay, time to pursue those relationships. I have a project that did really well last year. I'm so excited. Quinta versus everything that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like that. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I'm like super, super excited about that. That was something that I was really excited about. And I'm so happy it performed so well. So Quinta versus Everything is a show that can be found on Facebook Watch. And um, it is basically slices of my life with me versus different enemies. But those enemies can take any form. There's an episode, Quinta versus Feminism, where it's, I battle with what it's like for me to be on a feminist panel and not feeling like I'm the best at being a feminist all the time which I hate saying it, describing it, because it sounds so corny, but when you watch it, you, it's you can hilarious. understand what that means. Yeah. <laughs> There's also one, Quinta versus a baby, which is like just me squaring off with a kid in a restaurant. And then... There's Quinta versus pregnancy where, I, you know, I, what does it look like with the idea of possibly having a baby with uh, my boyfriend? And I really I really just like loved it. And I was so happy that people loved it the way they did. You know, it was <laughs> it just made me so happy. I mean, I, I just announced today that I have a book that will be coming out called She Memes Well. Very appropriate for this podcast. Great. That's amazing. Can you tell us more about it? <laughs> yeah. So it'll be a collection of like defining moments in my life, kind of like defining days, staying in the meme theme of like a, a funny moment. There's going to be a chapter called a Hollywood ass day. And that's when I like went to Issa Rae's yacht party and what that experience oh was God. and what it meant for me, <laughs> you know, what the, the insides of what it meant for me kind of coming into that world and yeah. and my place in that world. One chapter will be about the day, I, you know, my, my cousin was shot and killed and what that day looked like for me, but also we'll delve into the deeper issue of like gun violence.
So many memes women make and that we're covering in the series aren't their actual face. There's a lot of anonymity with memes. You don't know who's behind it or who's creating it. Mm -hmm. What was it like for you to be the face of your own meme as the creator of it? One thing that I got over quickly, I realized I had to get over it quickly, was people having stuff to say about like my looks. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I, that was something that I had to get over and be comfortable with myself and being comfortable with people sometimes maybe saying mean comments. I think for me, I just wanted to be comfortable no matter what was said about me and not let it define my next move. So that was something that I had to get over really quick. And then once I got over that, there's really nothing that could be said after that initial wave of a uh, memory. So, and I think internet world is interesting because your face really is all the way out there. You know, I've, I've been out with friends who are on TV or in movies, but we'll go out places and, and you know, I get recognized because it's the internet, you know what I mean? And it's a meme, it's a gif. And people know you from so many different worlds. <laughs> I went to a store the other day and the kid was like, are you Quinta? And I was like, yeah. He was like, dude, your Twitter is so funny. Your tweets have been so funny lately. And I was like, what? <laughs> I've never gotten that before. You know, it's just funny. I, wa I wondered. I was like, does he even know about other? It's just interesting. There's a girl came to me in the lobby at this hotel and was like, oh, my God. Your people be gay meme is on my, your face is on my vision board. Oh, God, this is such internet talk. But I, I tweeted something. My friend Zach Fox put picture of me on a meme. And that has now become a meme. And that meme is being shared like crazy. And it, it says people be gay and it's my face. People still get so shocked when people are gay. And it's like, people be, this was after the Quincy Jones thing, when he was like talking about who was, uh, who had been having sex with each other and whatnot. And it was, he was talking about Marlon Brando and James Baldwin and all these people. And people like, oh my God, James Baldwin was gay, Marlon Brando was gay. And I'm like, people be gay, this is not news. Like this is, people are like, gay is not new. This is crazy. <laughs> I remember there was this one time, um, like Kylie Jenner posted a video of me and I was like not, I was not super happy about that, but uh, she posted Why? one of my videos because I don't know how I feel about them. You know, the Kardashians, mm -hmm. I, I don't really know how I feel about them and she posted a video. And I, I was like, it's out there, it's content. Yeah. She can do what she wants. And I think that's an important part of it too. Like you, it's content. People can just do what they want with it. And you know what, it resonated with her. So there it is. It seems like you're making viral content and you're benefiting from it and profiting from it in the way that matters to you and matters to your career and is in line with your belief system. But one of the women that we often talk about is Peaches Monroe, oh, yes. who started yeah. on Fleek. Yeah. And how do you feel about women yeah. who find themselves in the spotlight without control over their content, who, who yeah. aren't able to profit from their content in a way that feels yeah. good? You know, I, I think about her a lot and it, her place in this whole discussion kind of breaks my heart a little bit because it goes back to that thing I was talking about, the internet being a free roam. And it's sometimes, and, and, and it hurts people. You know, I'm aware of that. I'm aware that it has happened in the BuzzFeed world, you know, with BuzzFeed's relation being a company to independent creators. I'm aware of all that. And I think in her case, it was this word that got, that became a part of the zeitgeist. And we see that happen with slang so much. The word becomes a part of the world and the originator of it doesn't get credited unless they're big enough to get credited. A good example is when like the word bootylicious went in the dictionary, but they had Destiny Child's faces, you know, they had Beyonce's mm -hmm. face straight to say this came from them. But when you don't have the face um, to say it came from that person, then oftentimes it gets lost. But because of like her story and other creators I've talked to, I think there has to be the conversation of business up front 
when it comes to these things. With me, I, you know, I had gone to college for advertising and communications and, and you know, and business. And so I put a lot of those principles into whatever I was going to be doing before I even thought about using the internet as an outlet. Those principles were already in my head. So it's already thinking about those things, how to capitalize off of what you make. Like the T-shirts and franchising things and being a co-owner of your content. Yeah, all that is important, you know. We have to have business sense about what we're doing if we expect to be able to profit off of it. There's a bunch of peaches in the world, a bunch of, of stories like that. There's a business to, I think, continuing to make your work. How so? What do you mean by that? I wanted. I would love to know if Peaches ever wanted to continue. Did she ever want to continue to make stuff? You know, mm-hmm. and, and especially in her case, she was a young black woman. No, she was not getting brought on Ellen before the uh, damn Daniel boy. That wasn't happening, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? His, his, his world was going to put him in that place faster than our world was. And by that I'm talking like, you know, white world versus like black world, and that's just the reality mm-hmm. of it. So because of that, we kind of have to prepare ourselves with the knowledge of what it really takes to uh, profit from your content and own your content. And that comes from knowing a lot more. I'm so grateful for having studied like communications and advertising and business because it gave me a little bit more of a, a landing point about how things could go. I mean, look at Logan Paul, look at Jake Paul. It's just a little bit easier for them, but it doesn't have to be that way. I'm a walking testament to the fact that it does not have to be that way. Quinta, thank you so much for talking with me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time. No problem. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Quinta. You can find all of her social media credentials in this episode description section. I suggest you follow her on all platforms because she is amazing. Most people say don't at me, but I would love for you to at me your strong opinions about this topic and about this episode. So tweet me at popcultpirate or slide into my DMs on Instagram where I'm at popculturepirate. And I hope you'll listen through through the other episodes this season and even seasons one and two. If you're looking for another awesome feminist podcast, check out my friend Francesca Ramsey's podcast that she makes with her husband called Last Name Basis. And if you want more Strong Opinions Loosely Held video content, check out our Facebook watch page where we have a monthly long-form series. Our episode today was produced by the wonderful Julia Alsap with help from the very buff Jay Brunson. It was edited by the awesome David Zuckerman and myself. Thank you for checking out season three with us. We love you and we hope you come back for season four. And we hope we come back for season four too. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.